Hello, and welcome to the Purposely Podcast. We are on a mission to share the most inspiring stories and insights from leading entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and educators. Here is your host, Emily Jacks. Welcome, everyone, this to the next installment of Purposely Podcast. Today, I'm here with Louise Morris. Welcome, Louise. Why, hello. Uh, all the way from Tasmania, um, Louise is in Derby. She's one of the most beautiful places, I think, in Tasmania. Uh, and Louise has got a really interesting story to tell. She has created Blue Derby Wild, which we're going to hear all about. Um, so I guess the first question I like to ask my um my guests is if you're at a barbecue and someone says, what do you do, Louise? How do you explain it to them what you do? Because <laughs> I guess you've probably got a day job as well as doing this this other thing on the side, but let's I'd really love to hear what, what you tell people. Well, yeah, I have a day job and what I tell people is very dependent on the barbecue, to be honest. Um, so <laughs> outside of my day job, um, I'm being a campaigner for over 25 years so I cut my teeth back in the 90s on the Jabaluka and West Australian Forest campaign. In 2001 we got a pretty good outcome in WA and I moved to Melbourne and got involved with the Guns corporate campaign. So Guns Limited was once the largest southern, the largest wood chipper in the southern hemisphere and I got involved with the campaign to get Westpac and other banks to divest from them. And Guns operated in Tasmania, pretty much ran Tasmania to be brutally honest. And off that work in Melbourne in 2001, I came to Tassie because had a I should go and, you know, have a look at the places I've been working so hard in the boardrooms to protect and completely fell in love with it. The grand plan was I was going to spend a month in Tassie, do a, you know, a summer tour, go visit the Tarkai and see these places. Um, didn't quite get to London, ended up staying in Tasmania and got awarded for my efforts as being one of the Guns 20, which was 20 individuals and organisations who got sued for six. $6.3 million by guns and that pretty much cemented my commitment to Tasmania's forests. Also took me back to the mainland where I ran the mainland and national campaign on guns and the corporate lawsuits legislation that allowed that lawsuit to happen. But yeah, so since that time I've always been involved in one way or another in environmental campaign. Blue Debbie Wild is entirely volunteer run people from both northeast Tassie, Tasmania and Australia. So we're quite a diverse group and I think anyone who's been to Derby realises just how glorious it is. Um, They also realise there's actually not a lot of people who live here. So those of us who were in Derby are much less in Blue Derby Wild than those of us who live Launceston, St Helens, around Tasmania and we've actually got a massive membership, so to speak, in Melbourne, Sydney and increasingly overseas for all our overseas visitors who come and just cannot believe that we're still logging native forests in Tasmania, let alone, you know, on the forests that hold Krushka's atlas and all these other areas and the blue tier, of course. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. What a story. So let's go back a step. How did you get into this 
field of work, what's your what is your day job, and is it related to activism? Are you a lawyer, or I'm I'm curious <laughs> to know. Uh, yeah, I tried law school for a while and realised I'd be a terrible lawyer. <laughs> so I transitioned out of that one. <laughs> uh, no, my day job is I'm director for a national environment org where I do a lot of work around citizen science engagement um, on threatened species, peri-urban environments and marine as well. So not Blue Derby Wild Wow. related at all. Well, there you go. And what's um, what's your background that's enabled you to get into this field? Because I feel like um, you know, environmental activism is is a, a really big thing now, and a lot of people want to get into it and are really passionate about it, but they don't know how to marry up their passion and maybe a job. Like, what's what's your background? Uh, I think the short answer to that one of how to is you just got to do. There is actually no rule book. It's not some you know, three-step plan career trajectory. If you're looking for a career in activism, probably need to get over that one fairly quickly because activism and career don't tend to coexist that well. Um, it's especially in Tasmania where being a greenie is one of the worst things you can be for a career path, so you've got to go carefully there. Um, yeah. do it. Like it's really this stop overthinking, get involved. We're a volunteer organisation, so... It's not a career path. We're all doing what we can, whether it's our crew who are mad keen mountain bikers who are just up there all the time, keeping an eye on the ground, our photographers, filmmakers, mainland folks who, you know, some of them are lawyers. They work as researchers at university. They chip in their skills and time. And you know, it's so glib, but teamwork does make the dream work. It does. It does. So talk to us about what Blue Derby Wild is. What is your organisation about? How long has it been going for and what's the end game? Uh, the end game. I'll start at the beginning-ish. Mm-hmm. So we've been around since 2015, 2016, and we set up as a small group of locals because there were plans to log flickety sticks, uh, return to sender, Damn busters, the list is long. So all of these forests are in active logging areas. Um, big long backstory, but I've got a long history from 2001 in the blue tier, which is glorious in these forests. We realised that logging was about to move in imminently to areas that we could have an impact in. So we formed Blue Derby Wild. Um that came um, under the the ire of the Dorset Council who tried to take Dorset legal action on us for using the term blue derby. Thankfully, that came to nothing because at that time Dorset had forgotten to trademark the blue derby name, so blue derby wild still exists. So we've been around since that point and we ebb and flow when the the logging threat increases, we're a lot more active. When we get a few wins, as we did, we got flickety sticks, logging stopped, return to senders, logging stopped, dam busters, cascade, the list goes on. Now, obviously, Krushka's is due to be logged any time in November and Atlas in the coming years. So it's it's really we keep chipping away and our big agenda is northeast Tasmania forests to be protected. And as you may have seen, we've been working with tourism sector nationally and here in Tasmania to call for a united voice calling for an end to native forest logging because we know ecologically it's completely unsustainable. Climate change, biodiversity 
biodiversity loss, whichever way you look at it, it's not working. Economically, native forest logging only exists because of taxpayer subsidies. So economically, it's a loser. Ecologically, it's a loser. We've got this jewel in the crown of the mountain biking industry here in Derby, kicking goals left, right and centre, and we're logging the natural asset that holds it. So um, I want to go back to your point around uh, logging being a loss-making industry because when I started following you and reading all of your stuff and um, learning about what was going on, I was just so shocked to learn that logging in Tasmania or in particular in this region is a loss-making industry. So can you talk about about that and um and why why we are why we are subsidising a loss making industry and and who who's 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 who are the decision makers that are backing this this stuff because I, I it just blows my mind. It is crazy making, isn't it? So this is a multi decade issue, and at the crux of it, Forestry Tasmania, who rebranded themselves Sustainable Timbers Tasmania, but legally a so called Forestry Tasmania when you're doing their paperwork are a government business enterprise. So the government owns them. They have a legislated quota of native forest logging they have to reach every year. So it's 183,000, cubic metres. The market isn't there for it. So they have to log more than they can sell. They have no market for these forests which cannot get forest stewardship certification, which is the the standard global certification because of their native forest logging practices. So you've got all these market indicators saying your product has no future because of the way you run it. Your social licence is lacking. These are conflict forests. And once again, after a few years of quiet from the Taipine to the northeast to the south, the community is picking back up and saying the time is up. You know, these forests are worth more standing. We understand the reality of climate change. These regnant forests, which we are riding through, are some of the most carbon dense forests in the world. The climate action, whether it's you know, some horrendous carbon market, you name it. So it is STP, is a government enterprise. The CFMEU, which is the union that covers the air for forestry, have been horrendously active in Tasmania for longer than we can remember. And our resource minister, who covers the forest industry, is so pro-logging, it's almost religious zeal. Here in the northeast, we have Dorset Council. Um, the mayor of Dorset Council works in the timber industry. They are incredibly pro-logging. And that is just in such juxtaposition compared to, say, Medina. Medina, where the Medina mm. Mountain Bike Park Medina has signed on to our open letter to end native forest logging. So we've got these two worlds where the Medina operators openly acknowledge the value of the forest to their business future and the region. Here in the northeast, we've got a council with mayors and councillors who work in the timber industry, and it just keeps circle jerking on itself. And a state government was so beholden to logging because essentially they are the logging industry. Economics and common it's sense just, don't come to into it. No, it's all it's all political, as mm. is everything, isn't it, in this day and age? And it's all about yeah, it's it's all about the closed door mm. kind of deals that are that are made. Um 
politically, I'll give you this if you give me this kind of stuff. Pay to play. Yeah, but pay to um, play. but what what do you think? What what I just I just can't like get my head around the fact that these are some of the most amazing forests, native forests in the world. Um, and, yeah, we've got this mountain biking community and some world-class mountain biking tracks where they held, um, you know, one of the, the major races, um, downhill races, um, world championships yeah. in, this, in this forest and they're, they're, they're looking at cutting it down and, and it's a product that they can't sell. So what, what, when you say that, what does that mean? So, like, the wood that they're, they're selling as a result of logging those forests is is not usable or it's not something that people are interested in buying? Like, I don't understand. Well, they're logging more than the market is demanding and the reality of a native forest is a complex ecosystem where each one is slightly different, which means you'll get different things coming out of it. The market wants uniform timber, which is the sort of thing you get from plantations, which we have acres of in the northeast. We have some of the largest plantation estates around and a lot of it is coming into age. So there's no no economic driver to log, using push as an example, no economic driver to log those forests. They're actually not really going to yield much. People within the industry have already said it's, it's not even going to break even. It's a loss-making logging for both these areas. So this is... STT logging to fulfill their legal obligations. So we are wasting. And so who's who, who who has, for who's, So who's the decision maker that that could actually go? Do you know what I'm going to make this decision to overturn these this Premier. ridiculous? Premier. The premier. So it's Peter Gutwin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Uh, if if people want to get on board with this movement and try and um, add their names to the list and 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 get involved, like there's probably lots of ways for people to get on vo- involved. And there's you know people who watch this podcast are probably there's people who live in Tasmania. What what can Tasmanians do to help help you um, get this message across? So we've got a few options. Those in Tasmania, even outside of Tasmania, um, if you're part of the outdoor tourism or adventure sector, the open letter that we presented to Parliament last week, which is bumping up to 190 signatures, people are still very welcome to add their brand to it because while we've tabled it to Parliament, it's a living document and we're signing more and more people on. If you're not in the tourism sector or have a brand, we have a petition to the Premier, which is, I think, coming into 29,000 people. So that's for anyone to sign and we will be tabling that to Parliament as well and that's both of these are a call for the inter-native forest logging. So we have so many plantations and other areas that can supply our wood needs, can supply our timber for housing. This is not an either-either or. This is native forest logging because we've got some archaic money-losing law that people are performing to. It's just um, absolutely, absolute madness. And is this also about job losses, like people arguing that if if we don't do this native forest logging that people are going to lose their jobs and that's going to impact the economy and that's bad and blah, 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 because that's, you know, whenever whenever politicians talk yeah. about this stuff, they, they, they peddle that argument out. Is that true or false? Oh, it's such a tired fallback when you've got nothing else to say. So... If anyone's ever watched native forest logging, it's a couple of guys in large machines knocking over trees. 
when you're managing a plantation from planting to thinning to basic, you know, it's a gardening activity and then you log, there are more jobs in that. So there are, if you include secretaries, lunch ladies, coffee people and some people in the forest, just over 2,000 jobs in the forestry sector in Tasmania. Tourism in the 2016 census had over 21,000 and that was the census in 2016. So those numbers will have gone up because we've gone through a tourism boom. So the job argument is a dead duck. The job argument is a dead duck. Much like native forest logging. Yes, exactly. And I guess what's the worst case scenario? Like um, could could they just plough ahead with this, pardon the pun, and and continue to knock down these native forests? Like what what is the worst case scenario that we, we could see if Peter Gutwin decides to do nothing? Well, Peter Gutwin is um, doing a lot right now to back in native forest logging. So he's gone against the tourism industry's own letter of agreement with the government talking about how their the state is transitioning to a clean, green, clever place which will be taking drastic climate action, working with our Indigenous people and developing a truly responsible industry. His backing in of native forest logging at any cost is undermining that. So he's been very active in undermining any progressive moves. The other interesting element here is taking it to federal politics, the Abbott government allowed burning of native forests to have a renewable energy certificate. So that's one that's on the horizon of while the market disappears for native forest logging for chips and other forms, biomass is the bogeyman sitting there. We could end up boiling our kettle and cooking our morning toast with native forest biomass if we are not really, really vigilant. Bringing it back to the media with Kushka's Atlas, Tarkheim, Wentworth Hills. Um, We have two weeks left in November at time of recording. The Dorset Council and SGT keep saying that they want to log both these Kushka's forests in November. So we are constantly on the ground trying to stop that. We are working with some incredible tourism operators behind the scenes to try and do everything we can to either quiet power and noisy power to stop this because the longer we can buy time for these forests, the better our case is for showing the economic benefits of keeping these forests standing. Let alone the fact that in summer, everyone knows, well, actually ANU and Utah's research has shown that logged areas after 10 years of logging are incredibly fire prone, making our entire region a fire pit and that old, wet, intact forests are our best defence for wildfires because they hold moisture in the soil. It's a rainforest, you know. The word rain kind of indicates it's a bit wet. So we're trying to buy time. Uh, The movement is growing for an anti-native forest logging. It'll come, but it really is the long game. is no native forest logging in Tasmania because we have alternatives. Short game for this summer is to stop the Krushkas, Atlas, Forest from going down. So that's where we really need people down. signing that's up really to the open letters to the Premier, the tourism operators, or the petition. And people can find that at our Blue Debbie Wild website or our Instagram as well. So just at Blue Debbie Wild. So I see um, from what you're doing on social media that you actually um, you actually hold um, kind of field days where people go out into the forests. What's the purpose of that? What's what 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 do you what would if someone wanted to go to one of those? What would that be? Well, 
the big purpose of that is showing people what's behind the buffers and the lock gates of forestry. It's, you know, it's great to tell people how amazing these are and the minute someone walks into them and just has a, oh, you're standing in a tree fern glade of 12-metre-high tree ferns and just that incredible hush and quiet of a rainforest or three weeks ago we had the um, Krushka's Bioblitz where we got people up into the trees in the canopy and, you know, up there you you understand the beauty and the intricacy of a forest where it's from each level from one metre up to 30 metres up to 60. The life in there is so diverse and you get to look over a whole forested gully and the Krushka's one is an example. That tree we can see down over one of the registered wedge-tailed eagle's nests in the areas and you just get the standing of from Krushka's forest, you can look all the way through to the beach and the oceans and those amazing sand dunes. The northeast is it's so so beautiful and glorious and frankly it's a bit of the unsung jewel of Tasmania so we want people to connect with these places understand why we're working so hard to protect them and they are worth more standing and they are worth more standing 100% I love it um can I ask you a question about the blue tear forest um because I found out through somebody when I first moved here somebody took me for a walk through that forest who's lived here their whole life and it was amazing and what I didn't realise was that it was it's called the blue tear because there's these little snails um, and, they've, and they're like an endangered or protected species and that's one of the reasons why that forest became protected. Is that still protected or are they uh, looking to try and yeah, um, the blue tear like is, log that? is a very vast place which is currently being logged. So the Blue Tear yep. is incredibly special. It's a place called Glacial Refugia. So it didn't freeze over in the last ice age just because of its, you know, it overlooks St Helens. It's a warm spot in the highlands. So it's a mix of that big eucalypt forest you would have walked through, rainforest and drier forest on the north slope. The snail you reference is the northeast forest snail, which is found in those wetter pockets. And, yeah, so the blue tear is under ongoing threat. There's one little patch which has got a stay of execution, which we're working really hard to keep intact. Um, and it's got its name because this is incredible blue hue that comes over it in certain lights where it just gets these multiple, each hill has this smoky blueness to it, the blue tear. But it's also called called Mina Mata in the local indigenous language. Yeah, it's absolutely stunning. Like there's one part of it you walk through and I actually felt like I was in like a hobbit forest, yeah. like um, like something out of Lord of the Rings. Like it's just, it's so prehistoric. Even the ground cover, it almost looks like in certain parts you're walking on the floor of the ocean, mm. but it's obviously dry there's land. Like coral it's just mosses. got. They're incredible, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just the most amazing, beautiful place. But um, thank you so much for for doing the work that you're doing because it's so important. But if people want to get involved and help out, what what's the best way? So we've got the petition and we're, we're going to share all of this, guys. We're going to share um, this when we publish the episode. Um so we, there's obviously the petition, there's the open letter. So if there's any tour operators or people in the area or even um, across Australia who want to put their name to, on this open letter, they can do that. But if somebody wanted to really, really get involved and, and come and volunteer, what would that look like? 
quickest way to do that is go to our bluejbwild.org website and then there's a take action page. So just click on that. And there's a couple of options of, you know, it's the obvious of direct link to write a letter to the editor if you're a little bit out of the area or get in touch directly and say, you know, I'm coming to Derby or I'm just in Tasmania and I've got these skills. We're also relaunching our Taz Tree Fern campaign soon. We're just working with Patagonia on what that looks like. Um, so if people are in Tasmania in places with tree ferns and have markets experience or are just great photographers, we're going to have something new in the new year that people can help out with as well. So that's tastreefern.com. Amazing. So one of the other things I learned from following your work is that um, all of the, the um, tree ferns in places like Bunnings are actually from native forests. So how do people know if they're wanting to buy a fern, where it comes from? Because I was just, I mean, I don't like shopping at Bunnings or any big kind of supermarket because I know that they're assholes really and that they don't care about the environment <laughs> at all um, and they continually put profits before mm-hmm. people and everything else. So, um, but how, how do people know? Because I think that so many people would be shocked by that, that they're actually being hacked out of a native forests and sold to people and being branded as a salvage operation which is the most pr double spin possibly so it's pretty on one level quite easy taz tree ferns latin term dixonia antarctica only grow one to three centimeters a year so the nursery industry only started growing them about 12 15 years ago so basically anything over i don't know 20 centimeters tall as a trunk has been taken from not a nursery, shall we say. So you look at those paving slabs, bags of mulch, uh, tree pots and the ferns, they're coming out of native forests. And Victoria used to allow it, but they outlawed it when they realised what a, a fool's game it is. So Bunnings used to sell them nationally and when we launched our tree fern campaign in February, managed to squeeze them out of the mainland. And they're now only selling in Tasmania just because some are a bit belligerent, but we'll get there. But we are moving into working with wholesalers because a lot of wholesale nurseries didn't know either because there's just no information. They get a tag that's made no, to the tree for saying sanctioned by the Tasmanian government that is a permit and they think it really is sustainable. And then when you show them the pictures of yes, this is what it is, and there's entire areas of forest that would never get logged if it wasn't for tree ferns because tree ferns often grow in wet glades near rivers. If no one was buying these tree ferns, we'd have huge riparian areas in these forests which would not be logged. And it's rainforest areas. Tree ferns live in wet forests. Yeah, it's just it's phenomenal, isn't it? And I think that, you know, so much about what you're doing is about the education because People want to do the right thing. I think mm. inherently most people don't want to, you know, hack tree ferns out of the soil and put them in their backyards. Um, so raising that awareness is so, so important. So just one last question before we go, looking back on all of the stuff that you've done, what's something that you're most proud of? Oh, Lord. Um, God, big ass. I'll keep it local. Probably getting... <laughs> The immediate protection around those, what was it, 2016, 17, when Clickety Sticks, RTS, 
Cascade Dam Busters were all on the chopping block and managing to get those off the chopping block. And I'm hoping like hell we can repeat that win with both Krushkas and Atlas. Um, bigger picture, the work going on with the tourism sector has been so heartening of all these, you know, mountain bike brands, celebrities, restaurants. We had Patagonia and Paddy Palin sign on, you know, Enduro World Mountain Bike Comp sign on. And these were all people and brands that a lot of people said, oh, they'll never sign on, they don't want to get involved. They jumped on in a nanosecond. And people said, this is what it is and this is the issue. You know, having Paddy Palin and Patagonia sign on about a state-based issue gives a good indication of how much people care about this. Exactly. So I think that, you know, the politicians really need to start listening to mm. the people rather than lining their pockets because I think that's really what it comes down to mm. is is um, these lobby and interest groups pay off people and it is all about money and it is very political. So, uh, yeah, f- for all of the people listening out there, it's really about your vote next election, mm. thinking about who you vote for and what they stand for and what they're going to do because um, that's really the the best way to make your voice heard. And be loud before uh, the election too because we've got a very active council in Dorset which tries to silence local businesses and people from speaking out. So the more people who stand together and just speak the truth and say what they see when they come on our tours and go behind the buffers, that's what will build to a good election outcome because we have a culture in Tasmania of taboo to speak about, you know, conservation in, here in northeast. The worst thing you can be is a greenie. So there's a cultural shift we need to bring about and that will change politics. There is, and there, it's really weird, like, moving here from Melbourne, I've really noticed that there was an election going on when I first moved here and there was, you know, Greens candidates had had their posters up and someone had written the most mm. horrible thing on, on this on this poster and I was just like, wow, um, it, it is, it is, it's quite bizarre because in Melbourne it's a, you know, Victoria, it's very different. Mm different environment where you know the greens are, are really quite popular and anyway I just I found that quite bizarre especially when this is such a, a an amazing area with so much history and so much so much to protect I, I find it bizarre but I guess you know I don't know the, the history of politics here um but you know maybe it's the farming industry I don't know um where it comes from but yeah, well, uh, I think the younger generations are going to change things because they they want different things. They see they see um, that everyone needs to work together. Exactly. That um, exactly. yeah, we need to work together and collaborate. And, mm. and I think that that's something that millennials are really good at. So we need more of them in in council positions and um, in parliament. We need younger people instead of all these white haired old men. Just need people getting active, like whichever forum works for you. I mean, having worked in the Senate world, it's not for everyone. Get out there and do stuff on the street. And the reality is politics follows the zeitgeist. So we need to build the zeitgeist and politics will follow when it's an immovable force they can't ignore. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, Louise. It was awesome to meet you. And we will share all of Louise's handles and some 
some um, links for you to get involved. But um, I hope you have a great day and thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for your time.